0: It's good to be back. Um, this is feeling kind of, off, of uh, often. I asked Bob, "Who is uh, who's who's was going to wind up preaching if uh, I didn't come up this Sabbath?" And he says, "Oh no, not me. That was going to be your brother." So now I know. <laughs> now I know why he called me so fervently <laughs> Wednesday night, and I worked all day. Thursday, and then drove up here for six hours, and so I picked the sermon title that could be very, you could go pretty much anywhere with it, faith. My brother said, well, you could preach out of any chapter in the Bible with that, but uh, as we began, I'm just reminded of a question that Jesus raised in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, and he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith On the earth. When Jesus comes back, he's raising the question: will there be any faith left on the earth? You ever thought about that? Our whole world works by faith, believe it or not. Faith in the Almighty dollar, have you ever heard that? Faith in our leaders. That's starting to shake. Faith in our scientists. Our world works by faith. But there is coming a storm that's coming very much on us. So, Sandy, thank you for your song to remind us of that. And when these trying times come, when the whole systems that we have been used to start falling apart, when government no longer works, when the United States dollar is no longer as strong as what we're used to. When the world economies start toppling. When there's natural disasters that are happening left and right. People's hearts will truly fail them for fear. And Jesus asked this question, will there be faith on the earth? And the Seventh-day Adventists, we know the answer, Right? God has a people who will endure till the end. And so we're going to turn to the great faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, and spend most of the morning looking at some stories or pictures of faith. And before we do, just invite you to bow your heads one more time as I pray. So Father in heaven, again, we just pray that your Holy Spirit can be here. Just pray that you will guide my thoughts, and that your message would come through to speak to each of our hearts. I pray that we could be encouraged as we see so many things happening in the world around us to realize that our faith is secure and that you will see us through the storms of life, and especially through the great storm that is about to sweep this world once and for all. Give us hope, but give us faith that endures to the end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think of faith and you want to learn about faith, one of the best passages in the whole Bible to turn to is to look to Hebrews chapter 11. It's actually been titled, The Hall of Faith, The Fame, where the uh, people that live by faith are recorded in the Bible. And, um, and as we uh, begin, we'll just begin at the beginning here, Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Have you ever thought about that? That God himself has faith. Now, theologians struggle with that thought because they believe, well, it's impossible. God sees the beginning from the end. How can he have faith? But even God lives by faith. He has faith in his word. He speaks in the worlds come into existence. <clears throat> and that's what the author of Hebrews is stating here by it. By faith, from faith, we understand that worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. And so Paul is going through pictures of those who live by faith. And one of them in particular I'd like to drop down and look at is Abraham, the father of what? the father of the faithful now sometimes the bible states things that don't always seem like reality is that right but the only thing that limits it from being reality is our unbelief and so i think it would be helpful to look at abraham you remember abraham he was that man that came into this world super strong he never failed he always just followed god's word right and so I think it's helpful to realize that Abraham was a man just like we. And so for a little bit, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 12. And we'll just do a brief snapshot of how faith is developed in one man, and in this case, in Abraham. <clears throat> so as a sideline, it's interesting to me, in verse 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God said to Abram, Get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. What was Abraham asked to do? Well, you may have not thought about it this way, but Abraham was asked to come out of Babylon. That was the land of the Chaldeans. That was where his fathers were. Who else has been called out of Babylon? Yeah, well, our quarterly last quarter talked about the Israelites, the Jew, people, the, the Jews that were taken captive to Babylon, and we read about Ezra and Nehemiah. there was a call for them to come out of Babylon. Why does God call people out of Babylon? This is a side note, by the way, but God called Abraham to go out into the wilderness, essentially, to leave. All the glitter of Babylon behind to leave the cities to leave the places where he could come out and hear god 's voice, he could see the stars it's hard to see the stars if you live in an urban or city area. And you guys that are living up here in the country probably see them all the time, but I rarely see them in Dayton. We have to get up out of the country and I live a little bit out in the country from from Dayton <clears throat> but God was leading Abram out where he could then lead Abram to become closer to him. And God begins telling Abram things that seem almost impossible, right? He says, I will make you a great nation. Well, Abraham's just a small man in a small family, doesn't even have any children at this point. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Now, in those days, the blessings occurred in the big cities. How are you going to, how's the whole world going to know about Abram if he's going off to a far country out in the middle of nowhere? But God works in mysterious ways. And then the most incredible promise of all, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is promising that through him, the Messiah will come. How does God build faith in Abraham he speaks his word into Abraham God speaks these promises there's seven of them promises that he will have the land that he will be a great nation that his name will be great that he will be a blessing that those who curse him will be cursed and all the families in the earth will be blessed through Abraham those are incredible blessings and so Abraham got up and left. He took his small family, his, his, uh, his few flocks, and his couple servants, and he headed off to this land. And for the rest of his life, he dwelt, by and large, in tents. Left the city and out to where he could hear it. Now, God comes back to Abraham over in chapter 13, and he says, The Lord said to Abraham in verse 14, Lift your eyes now and look from place, from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which I, you see, I give you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, and I will give it to you. And then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the turban trees at Mamre, which are by Hebron. And he built an altar, an altar there to the Lord. So Abraham, his faith is weak. His unbelief is strong. But faith comes by hearing, in hearing the word of God, right? And little by little, God brings Abraham through experiences. God uses Abraham to deliver um, Lot and to rescue him. And then over in chapter 15, God comes back down to Abraham. Abraham says, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I am childless? Abraham and Sarah were becoming old. Sarah was now past the age of being even, even able to have children. And Abraham remembers what God said, but it doesn't seem like it can possibly be a reality. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who came from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look now toward the heaven." And count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he blessed and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was counted righteousness by believing the word of God. Even when he didn't have what that word promised in his hands. He had no sign that he was going to be a father of a great nation. It did not look even possible at this point. And so, Abraham, through the help and urging of his wife, wives can help you do things right, and wives can help you do things wrong. And uh, through the urging of his wife, Abraham decided that he needed to do what the other nations do. And that is, he needed to help out God, and help have a son. And so, he had a son, through Sarah, through Hagar, and so we have this story of the old and new covenant being in play right there with Abraham. Abraham did his own works to try to fulfill God's promises and what did it lead to? We're still fighting wars this, to this day because of Abraham's mistake. There is still all the unrest between the Arabs and the Jews and the turmoil in the Middle East because Abraham did not believe God's word. Did that stop God from fulfilling his word? No. Even though Abraham miserably failed, he showed the greatest unbelief possible by going and working out his own salvation to deliver the promises of God, God still came back to Abraham and said, no, it's not by Ishmael. In fact, God told Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert and cut them off. Seem like a terrible thing to do with your son, wouldn't it? But that wasn't the son by promise. And the son by promise and the son of works, they cannot dwell together. And God over in chapter 17 says, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. How old was Abraham when this happened? was 100 years old and sarah was 90 years old and she was long past childbearing years even back in those days and so it was an impossibility and yet god's word was faithful and a year later isaac was born but what is it that we really remember abraham for as being the father of faith There's something more in his life. Not because he hung on to believing that Isaac was coming. Yes, because God now asks him to make the ultimate sacrifice. So after God has led Abraham out of Babylon, he brings him out into the desert, well into the promised land. He shows him the land but he never really gets to dwell there or establish anything there. He Um, fails miserably working out his own salvation. He did the same thing when he had to flee down to Egypt and lies to Abimelech, the king in Egypt. Not only did he do that once, he did it a second time, and God leads us over the same thing over and over and over until we can learn from our mistakes. But God is patient And God is true to his word, and God gives Abraham a son. And now the most amazing thing is God tells Abraham to sacrifice your son, Isaac. That's not just a matter of us sacrificing our child. Abraham knew full full well that it was the Messiah that was coming through Isaac. And in effect, he's being asked to offer his son, but he's also being asked to cut off his very salvation. Think about that. This had huge implications. And so let's turn back over to Hebrews because it summarizes the story a lot quicker than we can get out of Genesis. Genesis. And let's just read the summary in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place, which he would afterwards receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him in the same promise. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Even Abraham realized that it wasn't just being dwelling in tents in the promised land that he was looking forward to. He was looking for that eternal city. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore it a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, in him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky a multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And these all died in faith, not having received the promise. But look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Abraham was foreshadowing what God the Father and God the Son would go through. And remember that Isaac gave up himself willingly. He could have easily fought off a hundred and whatever 15-year-old man that Abraham was at this point. Isaac laid down his life willingly, just as Jesus. Why was Abraham willing to do that? The one in Isaac, your seed shall be called, Because verse 19 says that he accounted that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham realized that God's word does what it says it will do. And even though he could no longer understand what God was asking him to do, throughout a life of failures, Abraham had learned to trust God's word. And by the end of his life, it must have been a terrible ordeal. But nevertheless, he was ready and in the middle of being willing to follow God's command to slay his own son when he was stopped. And when God the Father and God the Son on Calvary faced this same point, there was no hand to stop the sword as the shepherd was struck but in abraham's case his faith was demonstrated abraham had been a terrible witness to his neighbors to abimelech and to the egyptians abraham had failed abraham had set off a train of events by by working out his own salvation and having a child through hagar that we are still reaping the consequences to this very day But when the history books were written, what amazes me most about the hall of faith is that none of that is recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. Look over in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Japheth, and also of David. Now wait a minute. Do you think of Samson as a man of faith? What do we think about Samson? We think, yeah, he had a few great victories, but oh, that was such a failure. He could have been such a much better deliverer than he was. And the Bible says he slew more people when he died than he did when he was alive because he took out 3,000 Philistines at one time. When by faith, he grasped those pillars and said, God, I know you have not forsaken me. And in that one act of faith, that's all that's written down in Hebrews. Samson lived by faith. It should give us hope. Because I look at my own life and it's not, doesn't seem fitting to be in the book of Hebrews. All of us can look at the failures over and over and over, but it's through the trials that God teaches us to trust his word. And the history books are not written until it's over, and at the very end, God will be successful. If through those trials, he can bring us to the point where we say, yes, Lord, I trust your word. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. And so if we want to develop faith, what do we need to be doing? We need to be connected to the light, to the battery, through the cables. So we need to be in God's word so that we can be developed and grown in faith. Let's back up to verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, All these, or these all, died in faith, not having received the promises, But having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What does it mean that Abraham didn't actually receive the promises? Isaac and Jacob didn't actually receive the promises. There is still an ultimate fulfillment to God's word. To give them rest. To give them the promised land. To give them a holy city. That's what they were truly looking for, the same thing that we're looking for. Now, I'd like to look back at a few things. It's easy to look at the book of Hebrews, and it's easy to pick out David, who was the mighty king of Israel. It's easy to look at Abraham, who was blessed with so much. It's easy to look at Noah, who survived the flood. But the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, also puts a paradox in place. And it starts off with this paradox. Let's look at it. Go back to chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. How many of you want to be like Abel? In the prime of your life, be struck down by your brother. By faith, faith Abel gave a sacrifice that led to his death. But he is recorded in the book of Hebrews. What about the next one? Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death. Do you see the contrast here? One died by faith. One never died by faith. Both lived by faith. And we can see the same contrast. Some had magnificent homes like David who built himself a, uh, whatever you call it, the mansion for the king, the palace. Others, it says, lived in caves. Some were, some had... Um, great wealth and blessing. Some had absolutely nothing. But what is the common denominator? They lived by faith. Some were like Moses who experienced both. It's incredible to really think about Moses. It's hard for us to even imagine it. But Moses was adopted into the royal family of Egypt. Moses was the next in line to be pharaoh over Egypt. Can you imagine that? Moses had every advantage possible. While the Hebrews had to go out and use an outhouse, if they even had that, he had somebody to hold the china for him, They're the best porcelain toilets of the time. Moses had everything for him in Egypt. He went to the best schools. He was taught the languages, he was taught mathematics, he was taught warfare. Do you know that Moses was actually a general in the Egyptian army and had many great victories? He would have been the next Pharaoh. But Hebrews 11 says that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing what? Choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses went from what would currently be the White House to living, herding sheep in what would be probably the Badlands or out in the middle of Nevada somewhere. Moses saw the starkest of contrasts. But he's in the hall of faith because wherever he was, he lived by faith. Was Moses perfect? No. Moses was a man just like us. Abraham was a man just like us. Samson was a man. Blessed from his youth, actually from his birth, but he lived by faith. There was nothing. These, 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 these people, Abraham, Samson, David, Moses or Noah were not human beings that were born with some kind of supernatural superpowers. They were men that lived by faith. Let me read a quote. I probably shared it before, but it fascinates me. Christ Object Lessons, page 333. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Can you imagine that? Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. These were not extraordinary people other than when they heard God's call to come out of Babylon, to come apart from the world, to separate from Egypt, they followed God. choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses saw what was truly of eternal value. And if we have to suffer being killed as Abel, if we have to suffer living in a cave and being in poverty, not being in school, being a servant or a slave, if we see the eternal reward, it's just, what did he say? It's just a momentary, just a momentary affliction when you realize What God has in store. And so, let's, well, let me read one more quote. Christ would never have given his life for the human race if he had not had faith in the souls for whom he died. Did Jesus live by faith? Yeah, he said, Not my will be done, not my will, but thine be done. And even when he could not see through the portals of the tomb, he held on. Christ would never have given his life for the human race if he had not faith in the souls for whom he died. What does it mean to you to realize that Jesus has faith in you? Jesus has faith in me. Faith is believing things that are not true when you look on the surface. Jesus looks at his people as these are they that are going to turn the world upside down. This is my group that I have set aside as my special chosen people. Not because we have supernatural powers. He knew that a large number would respond to the love he had expressed for humanity. It is not Every heart that responds, but every heart may and can, if it will, respond to that love that is without parallel. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and he is waiting for a response of souls. It's through God's word that faith springs up. It's through hearing that Jesus has faith in us that it creates faith in us. We have no faith of our own. It's the faith of Jesus that he gives to us, his perfect faith that has never failed. Let's look at another. Verse 34. They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Who are the ones that quenched the the fire? We talked about it in Sabbath school today, right? Um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And so it's a story that we learn as children in our storybooks about, isn't it so wonderful that God delivered them from the fire? And sometimes we stop at that point. But they are an example to God's in-time people. It was God's purposes that the whole Jewish nation, in fact, that all of Israel, would have been the lights to the heathen around the world. They were to demonstrate to um, the Babylonians. Hezekiah had an opportunity but failed. <clears throat> They became more idolatrous. They did more harlotry. They even made the nations around them blush at the terrible things that they were doing as God's people that should have been the light on the hill. But God still had the desire to reach the surrounding nations, and so he put them in the middle of the surrounding nations instead. And he used a group of young men maybe 14, 15, 16 years old, to still be the light to Nebuchadnezzar into the whole realm. And so they stand as an example of what it means to not bow down to the culture around them. Now we, as Americans, we feel like we live in a free country. There's nobody coercing us to worship in a certain way. It's not like in China or Sudan or places where Christians are actually persecuted. But are we compelled to worship some things other than God? Every single day we're being bombarded by advertisements, billboards in the mall, in the shopping mall, billboards as we drive down the road, our TVs, I heard the other day that many many Christians still worship animals. Do you believe that? The Detroit Lions. (laughs) I can go on and on. Christians are more excited about their teams than they are to witness about their God. We get sucked into worshiping the things in our culture, whether we like it or not. And with the Super Bowl coming up, the whole world's focus, at least all the United States' focus, will be on their favorite team. And so many Christians are more caught up in that than they are for witnessing for Jesus. And so there may not be a pagan power coercing us to worship, but there's a more subtle power that is constantly bombarding us. And so often we yield to it. God is going to have a last day people who come out of Babylon and call all of his faithful listeners to join them. But I'm reminded also of another thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't always come out of the fire in this world. They did not know for sure that they were going to come through. But what did they say? Even if our God chooses not to deliver us, it's okay. We will not bow down to your idol. They were willing to stand not knowing what God was going to do. They stood by faith, and although their names are not in here, what they did is recorded in Hebrews as an example to us. And I believe that Hebrews 11 is primarily written for those of us that will be alive at the very end of time. When we we hear the music play, when we hear the fanfare, do we bow down? Do we worship the things in our world and in our culture? Or are we willing to stand? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the flames, and as a result, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was melted and he was moved toward God. Still had to be humbled. Still had other things to learn. But imagine this, because of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as well as Daniel's witness, you will someday see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Have you ever thought about that? Nebuchadnezzar's dying words is that he served the Almighty God when he wrote his last testament. There was a fourth person in the fire. Who was that? Yes, one like the Son of God. Jesus Himself came to be joined with them. He didn't leave the fire, He didn't come out of the fire. He stayed on the cross. In fact, let's read, let's jump over to Hebrews chapter 12. Says therefore, verse one. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy. That was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does Paul say? Count it all joy when what? Can you count it all joy when you are facing a cross? Jesus counted it all joy because he could see past the present circumstances that he was living in and see what that sacrifice was going to lead to. The fact that only through that, you and I could be with him. And he counted that enough joy to endure the cross, despising the most incredible shame. Flip over just for a moment to James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces endurance is another word that some translations have there. How do we get faith like Jesus so that we could endure the cross? It's enduring the little trials that we encounter today. They don't seem little when they're in the middle of our life. When your loved one's facing cancer, can you count that all joy? When you've just been laid off from work and you don't know how you're going to make the next mortgage payment, can you still praise God in the middle of those circumstances? God sends us little testing trials Now, he's not purposely cooking up these trials. They happen through the lives that we all live in this sin-filled world. But he allows them. He could protect us from them. But if you look at a well-trained athlete, how do they get stronger? They have to tear down muscle so that they can build more muscle. You've heard athletes say, oh, love the burn. They are keeping their focus. More than we as Christians, they are keeping their focus on the end result. Love the burn. Feel those calves burning because I just ran 14 miles and I'm training for a marathon. Well, you don't get to a marathon by running one mile three times a week. You get it from pushing yourself beyond what you think you can possibly do. And God takes us through these trials just like he took Abraham. Little by little, word upon word, precept upon precept. We might fail, but we get back up. And God continues to preach his word into our hearts so that it develops faith. And one more thing. Well, let's just look at verse 4 in James real quick. But let patience have its perfect work. Let endurance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. It's these trials that we endure or we even survive. We may not even come through them intact. But little by little, these trials are building faith. And what's the purpose? Why does God put us through this? Why doesn't he just lay us all asleep and let us pass into the kingdom through the underground route? Because God is trying to develop a people that he can hold up before the world like Shadrach. Meshach, and Abednego. That when the the fanfare sounds, the music sounds, they will not bow down. Even though they are in Babylon, they will stand. And so let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's just read the closing verses. Let's just start back at verse 36. Others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They don't all just live life happily ever after. They were stoned. They were sawn in two like Isaiah. They were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin because they were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Some of us feel that way today. But keep your eye on the prize. God's word is true, and he is going to fulfill it of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, but all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. Now this is talking about everybody that's just been recorded in the book of Hebrews. They've got a good testimony. But then what does it say? They did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. God has something in store for us. I believe Paul might have applied this to his day, but it truly applies to God's last day people. God is going to have a people that he can stand up before the world as his last day witnesses, so that they can be a witness to the Babylon of our time. What's the Babylon of our time? It's no different than the Babylon of that time. It's no different than the Egypt of Moses' day. It's our culture that tells us that if you want to be happy, you need instant gratification, that if you want to be happy, you have to get higher by putting other people down. That has this... Sense of following the gold, like the statue, following the gold all over to try to pursue that to be happy. God is going to have a countercultural people that He can hold up in the very last days to be His witnesses. And the trials we go through today, the illnesses, the financial problems, the sometimes when you feel like you have no faith, All these things are building us for that last day stand. This isn't a work that we muster up through our willpower. It's not because we have superhuman powers that any of this happens. It's because we, as men and women, just like Abraham, just like Jacob with all the troubles he had, just like David with all the troubles he had, just like Moses with his failings, Just like every one of these men, the only thing about it is is that this is God's last day people of faith. It is faith that makes up the difference. It's faith that will affect us. What is the biggest thing that stands in the way? There's probably two things. One is we don't believe God's word because unbelief runs deep. What is the solution to unbelief? The word of God. The other thing is the pride of our hearts. We don't want to step down and be different and come out of Babylon and be apart from all the things we see going on in the world. Testimonies to Ministers, page 456, written in 1897, says, None but God can subdue the pride of man's heart. We cannot save ourselves, we cannot regenerate ourselves. In the heavenly courts, there will be no song sung to me that loved myself and washed myself and redeemed myself. Unto me be glory and honor, blessing and praise. But this is the keynote of the song that is sung by many here in this world. They do not know what it means to be meek and lowly in heart. They do not know... They do not mean to know that if they can avoid it. The whole gospel is comprised of learning of Christ, his meekness and lowliness. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust, in doing for man that which is not in his power to do for himself. The Holy Spirit cannot be poured out in great measure on this last-day church while we think there's anything that we can do to help God accomplish this last work other than stay connected to him and let his word do its effect in our hearts. But if God poured out his Holy Spirit while we think that we're the ones having the Ishmael, that we're the ones doing the work, then we would take the glory to ourselves. And God is going to have a humble people That follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. What time do you guys normally stop? About now, right? All right. One more thing that I'll just share with you. God is going to have 144,000. That's 12 times 12,000. God is going to have a group from every single tribe There's something that I've been studying that just kind of amazes me. And uh, I don't really have time to go into it, but I will just point you in that direction. But in the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, the sealed of Israel in chapter 7. You saw the four four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds back. And I saw in verse 2 another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And down in verse 3, it says, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. What does it mean to be sealed in your forehead? It means to be so settled in God's word that you depend on his word to fulfill what it says. It means to have the faith of Abraham, it means to have the faith of each of these ones that we've been studying. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now, there's something interesting about this. Back in Ezekiel 28, there was a being. It's called here the King of Tyre, but we as Seventh-day Adventists know that this is talking about Lucifer himself. In Ezekiel 28, it says that you were the seal of perfection. God did not create the devil. God created a perfect, unfallen being named Lucifer. And what's interesting to me, you were in the Eden, the garden of God, the very place where God is, Lucifer was. Every precious stone was your covering. What do these stones represent? The Sardis, the Topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Do you remember the two cherub on the ark that covered the Ten Commandments and the seat, the mercy seat of God's throne? Lucifer was one of those. Jesus was the other. The creator and God's most exalted created being were the two that were closest to the very throne of God the Father. And I believe that these stones that Lucifer had adorning his body represent character attributes, the character of God. Lucifer's job was to go out to all the created worlds and to explain to them God's character, and he was the one most prepared to do it because he stood in the very presence of God. We just read about the 144,000. One from every tribe. Do you know that the high priest had a breastplate? And on the breastplate were these same stones, 12 of them, one for every tribe. This, these are the stones that are represented in the 144,000. Ellen White talks about the 144,000 as being the ones that can go before the very throne of God. Now think about it. There is still going to be a chapter 2 written to the book of Hebrews, everything that has happened since the cross of Christ. In the culminating chapter, the culminating paragraph of that will be that have you seen my 144,000? Those that would rather follow the Lamb, wherever He is, through persecution, through trials, even to death as a martyr, they would rather die than bring disgrace and dishonor to God. And the most amazing thing is, I've studied this out, and you go back and look at Exodus 28 and Ezekiel 28, And you study these stones as these are the group that now take the very place of Lucifer himself as being the ones that go into the throne room of God and then go out to the rest of the universe throughout all the ages to reveal God's character of love. We have an amazing responsibility But ultimately, we have an amazing calling as Seventh-day Adventists. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, are going to want to talk to those that went through the great tribulation. They're going to want to hear from you. So keep your eye on the prize. We may have to suffer living in caves in the desert destitute, shut away, feel like you're isolated from the whole rest of the world because you live out in Cadillac, Michigan, but God has put you here for a reason to bring you apart, to separate you from the world so that he can prepare his bride and that's what it means to have the faith of Jesus God is going to have a last day people that he can put up as the demonstration before the whole world not a group of superheroes, because he does this when the human race is morally and physically at its most destitute point that it's ever, or degenerate point that it has been since the creation. Can you imagine that? God's going to put, he, and it's his work, he's going to do it, and he is going to put on a demonstration before the universe, before our world, with the race at its weakest of what he can do by those who have the faith of Jesus. How many of you want to be a part of that final generation? I pray that that's every one of us. And as we close, we will sing, I think, hymn number 330. This is a hymn of consecration. Hymn number 330. And if you want to consecrate yourself to that, then I invite you to stand and to sing. Please stand.